Hey everyone, welcome to Tales of Recovery. Grisalves here, and well, I'm not gonna lie, it's been heavy, dude. It's been a heavy couple of months here. Besides the COVID fatigue and worry, um, exhaustion, well, you know, if you listen to the podcast I put out in January, Walking My Mother Home, you're aware that she has transcended and left her human body, she died. And so the whole um, podcast that I that I recorded right after she died, it was like still walking on this cloud of awe, just of the opportunity and all the work that we were able to do, my mom and I, um, you know, really in like in her last six months or 12 months really of her life here on earth. And so this podcast is called Cooking for My Dad, The Widow and Patriarchy. And I'm going to talk a little bit about now what's going on, what I'm realizing that I'm getting really angry about now that my dad is here with us. Also, by the way, I don't know if you can hear this, but my daughter's in the other room singing. So that's Paula Elvis. She's amazing. And you may or may not be able to hear it. I can hear it with these um, monitor headphones that are super duper clear. But um, yeah, well, that's just what's happening here in my house. These podcasts are super like organic punk rock. You may hear the dog barking or people coming and going. Honestly, I love coming in here and just sharing and talking and venting and having guests. And I don't have time to edit y'all. So these are all raw and unedited podcasts. Maybe down the line, I'll get some, you know, skills and edit more. But for now, this is what it is. You are basically hanging out with me here in my dining room, living room area. (laughs) And this is where we're recording. So I never really realized how close I was to like this patriarchal oppression of women, you know, this privileged life oppressing me. I just, it is the realization that I'm coming upon as I have now my 85-year-old dad, widow, who's kind of patriarchal, pretty much, 100%, 150%. And he's a nice guy, but I'm beginning to just notice how messed up some shit is here. And I am for an, one of the first times really understanding why my mom was so pissed at him all the time. So, you know, my mom dies in January and then we've, you know, you know, my husband built this little granny flat out in our, in our house that was planned and visioned and created for my parents when they were going to be old little people. They were going to live with us because that's what, you know, that's what you do as a community. That's how you're supposed to live. And, you know, my mom told me, don't you ever send me to the one of those little old foggy homes. (laughs) Of course, I wasn't, I just... I never in my mind thought about doing that. I mean, I thought about it a hundred. Yeah, I thought about it. But it was just like not something that you do. You know, these are your parents. You just keep them at home. That's how my grandparents were. That's how other grandparents were. You just, it is part of how we roll in our, you know, in our family. And uh, the Mexican family keeps the parents and the grandparents. So anyway, my dad wanted to stay at her house. You know, they have this house when my mom died to a couple months just to kind of while things settled. And then eventually he was going to move in here 
to his um, to his apartment in the back of my house. And he was kind of lingering because, you know, he's an old guy and he really likes his house and his independence and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, all right, fine, dude, do whatever you want. You're over here by yourself. I guess, you know, he's pretty independent. I thought, okay, that's, you need time. And fine, dude, because it's it's a lot having, you know, to take care of another parent now, even though he takes care of himself, but there is, you know... We have somebody living there with him, helping him and cooking and cleaning and watching out for him and sleeping there because I don't know if he's going to slip in the middle of the night and fall. And, you know, he is 85. There's facts that happen with getting old and realities that nobody likes to look at, but we have to look at them. And what happened is when COVID hit, too bad, so sad, homie. You can't stay there by yourself anymore. It's time to move in here, at least for a while. What we thought might have been two to three weeks while COVID was going to just kind of, we didn't know what was going to happen. But two to three weeks into it, it was like, mm, we better give notice at that other house and just pack it all up and, you know, get it over with. Because we're not going to be paying rent over there if you have a, an apartment for free over here. And, and so a long story short is we packed it all up, my sister and I, during COVID, little by little here, she would show up, then I would show up later because we were trying to be careful and socially physically distance and blah, blah, blah. And it took us about three weeks and it was intense packing and all this shit and whatever. Then my dad's here, moving in here. And now I am like, what the fuck, man? You're 85. You are going to die soon too. And this is so intense. Um, I know he's not going to die just yet, but the intensity of it. And so Whatever. I'm just like, we're doing the thing, we're gardening, we're cooking, we're doing. And all of a sudden I realize, wait a minute, we don't have your helper here because she has to stay home because of COVID. So who's cleaning, you know, your bathroom and the sheets and cooking and this and that? And, and uh, well, guess who? Well, I am. Because he can reach down to tie his shoe, but it takes him like half an hour. How the hell is he going to change his sheets? And, and he helps when I go in there. I'm like, let's change your sheets. Let's, you know, this. And I'm playing house for like the first month that he's here. And I'm like, oh, I'm such a good daughter. Oh, my gosh. My dad is living here with me. I'm doing what the ancestors did. You know, we're keeping our family tight. And we're growing our food. And we're cooking for the kids. And my husband and I are doing this family thing. And... And a month into it, and 40 days into it, and 50 days into it, I'm like, what in the fuck? Where is Alejandra, my helper for the love of the goddess? Because this is really getting tiring. I'm trying to work, trying to do these meditations, I'm trying to do everything else, and I'm realizing how clueless my dad is. (laughs) Because, you know, I tell him, you know, I think we need, I can't wait till Alejandra comes back to help. And he's like, well, it's fine like this. We're saving money. We're saving money? Are you freaking kidding me? I'm about to fucking cut my head off because this is a lot of work. And it's great, but it's also very tiring. And also when I talk to you, you don't hear anything that I'm telling you because you won't put your headphones on. You're, you're, you know, he has these hearing aids that he doesn't like to wear because he says they give him an earache. And my mom, for the years and years and years, would tell me, would you please tell your father to freaking put his ear, like the little, what are they called? Whatever, the things to hear. Have him put them on, the hearing aids. 
I'm like, well, why don't you tell him? Well, he doesn't listen to me. I'm like, Dad, put the hearing aids on. No, I'm fine. I can hear. It's just certain certain vibrations that I can hear, certain that I cannot. And so he couldn't hear shit. My mom would always have to call him. All the kids make fun of him because the only way he would actually listen to her was if she said a really high, like, Luis, Luis. <laughs> Otherwise, he wouldn't. Oh, that would wake him up from his 85-year-old slumber because he kind of, you know, he sits down to read, falls asleep, watches a movie, falls asleep, walks around kind of in his own little world. And he doesn't put the freaking you know, the hearing aids on. And I'm, and I'm thinking, you know, the only time you wore them is the last maybe 30 days of my mom's life when you saw it coming and you really wanted to be present. And I saw you wear those hearing aids those 30 days. But now you're back checked out. And so I'll tell him a sentence. He gets the last part of the last word of the sentence and is completely out of the information that just landed on him. He doesn't know what the hell's going on. I have to repeat myself. And I just realized kind of what Julio said. It's like he doesn't he doesn't really care. Like that's his choice. He just likes to walk around and just do his own thing. And he's a great guy. But in the patriarchy mindset that he has, he checked all the boxes, right? He got his career. He had his business. He has is with a wife and the kids and the house and the kids have grandkids and they're all healthy and nobody's really fucking around. So everything's fine. But any heart connection, any type of like, how are you emotionally feeling? Are you drained? Are are, are your dreams? How's your passion? What do you think about? No, none of that is like really a necessary thing. First of all, because he can't freaking hear. Oh, but I'll tell you what he can hear. He can hear all of the frigging yellow news about the Mexican president and how stressed he needs to be and how everybody needs to be freaking out because Mexico is going to be communist and blah, 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 blah. And it's like I, I really have had to notice the boundaries that I was not setting. And I'm, and I'm adjusting, right? We're adjusting. We're all adjusting to this new COVID situation. We're adjusting. I'm adjusting to having my widow patriarchy dad living in the house saying some really really inappropriate comments and things that my teenagers are looking at him like what how can he say that I'm like well he's 85 he doesn't know and we're gonna have to fucking school him so yeah I've been schooling him yesterday we got into a big old argument about how bullshit the Virgen Guadalupe is and all of his catholic shit because he would give my mom a really really hard time about you know, she used to go to the Church of Scientology or Dianetics when we were in Mexico City in the 70s. You know, she was trying to, you know, she was seeking, doing her thing and whatever. They caught her. They took a shit ton of money from her because that's what that church does. And whatever, long story short, when we moved to San Diego, she left there. She wasn't going anymore, allegedly. But there was still mail coming in about them. And I think once in a while she'd go see her friends. And she didn't give a fuck. You know, she wasn't Catholic. They liked her there. She got some whatever attention and maybe did some of the seeking she needed to do. And that was her thing. My dad was all about his Catholic church and no matter what, he was going to mass, but he was so not present emotionally, not seeing her for who she was, not going to therapy because, well, nothing's wrong. If I can control things, then I'll go to the therapist, but I'm okay. Even now I told him, hey, there's this grief bereavement therapy guy that can talk to you since my mom died. They sent this paperwork. Oh, no, I'm fine. When I can't control this, then I'll ask for help. But right now I'm good. Oh, well, okay, fine. 
that's how you want to live. That's how you want to live. But he was, he was giving my mom a hard time about these letters still coming in the mail about the Scientology stuff. And I was at their house maybe like eight months before she died. We were all having breakfast. We were just talking and he's going on and about, I can't believe these freaking Scientologists, you know, 40 years later are still sending her letters. How did they find her? So I remember I opened the letter and I called them up and I told them I was going to put a restraining order <laughs> and that they needed to stop sending these freaking letters that my mom was way over the freaking bullshit. I'm like, she is a freaking wise, badass ancestor, Mexican indigenous woman. She doesn't need your bullshit. And I just made up this whole story. So anyway, the guy, the Scientology people never called back. And when I was telling her what I, when I was telling my dad, that I'd call him, he looked at my mom and was like, yes, because those people are horrible. And he was going off on her. And I thought, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a moment, wait a moment, wait a You can't bring your Catholic bullshit in here either if you're going to talk like that about her. Because I understand if it's a cult and you're trying to save your family from getting in a cult and blah, blah, blah. But you cannot be talking shit in front of your wife about the same thing for over 40 years when you still believe that Mary was a virgin and that baby came out of her without her having sex and that somebody got out of the grave and all this shit and you're just following your Bible, your Bible, your Bible and you are completely clueless about your wife's emotional needs and you won't go to therapy and you can't give her shit about that because both of those are complete fiction and they're myths and they're stories that are created to help us make sense of why the fuck are we here in this huge planet in the amazing universe we don't know. So whatever religion you pick is just a survival mechanism. And yours is as much bullshit as hers. And so you can choose to do your thing. But if you're not going to let her brochures come in, you're going to be talking shit. Well, then guess what? You can't bring your little St. Patrick Catholic Church shit here either. I remember my mom looking at me like, thank you. Like a nice little nod, like, fuck yeah, man. And yeah, it, you know, it's, I, I don't, I realize that I'm walking on eggshells here with my dad, making sure like he's okay, he doesn't get upset. And, and, you know, are you okay with me, you know, folding your clothes over here? Are you okay? When my husband told me about a month ago, like, why? You were never like that with your mom. You're just, hey, what's up, mom? Told her what to do or what was going on. Why are you so tippity-toey with your dad. And I feel like I'm having like this emotional retrograde, like mercury retrograde of the heart back in a childhood trauma of, well, it's daddy. Is he going to be upset? Am I, you know, are we supposed to like stay small and quiet? Unless you're being really funny, then that's okay. Um, But it really, I'm realizing it's been a lot about just staying small and quiet. And him never really approving of my lifestyle. It's fine. I mean, he likes me, you know, but it's like he, you know, I was a singer. I was doing theater. That was not seen well by him. He'd go to the plays and be sitting there like going like, oh, my fucking God, I can't believe you're doing this. And, you know, would make fun of my checks that I would get for the for the recording um, work that I would do um, as a singer. Just like, what is this? Are you gonna pay the rent with this? Like, get a real, get a real college education. You know, get a real life. Ugh. And so, I just kind of like shut out. I did my thing and high five when you know on the weekends and high five when the grandkids came and there's the grandparents are nice. But it was it's always been like this. Um, 
I'm not gonna. It's not like a facade, but it's really like an like a pretending because I can't really be who I am. You have to watch whether or not you're gonna say the f word in front of them. You have to watch whether or not. And sometimes, you know, I don't really watch it. I just say it, but it's always like, "Oh, I waste mal que va a decir." And not, you know, with my mom, I didn't really have that problem. Towards the end, yes, of course. And I've, I understand this is. This is my freaking ancestral work right here. I'm working the shit out, understanding that I have felt disempowered because of what he represents, such as what, like my mom did. And even though I still went on and recorded my record and did whatever I want. Oh, by the way, when I actually got one of the records we did with BMG Mexico, I played it in the car one time for him. And he was like, I go, look, this is the record we recorded. And um, I mean, I'd been away in Mexico City for two, three years. And when I played the record, he's like, that's you? I'm in the car going, yeah, that's me. He said nothing, you guys. He kept on driving. And I knew he was like impressed because it sounded good. But he never said like, wow, you know, that's really different than what you were saying 10 years ago. Or, or that's great. Or congratulations. He just was like straight up front, not saying anything. And I'm like, you know, I don't really need you to clap. I did my thing because I knew I could do it and I did this. But, dude, you could at least say cool or high five. No, he didn't say anything. But I tell you what, if I'd gotten a freaking, you know, law degree or some type of something that was quote unquote okay with patriarchal oppressed by the men's society, he would have maybe said, oh, I'm so proud of you. But whatever, whatever, I still did my thing, kept on going. You know what? Even like 20 years later, we did this show. I sang with the San Diego Resistance Revival Chorus. And we did this huge fundraiser for Prison Yoga Project to help the women, to help pay, to help train the yoga teachers to go in there and teach the pregnant women, the women that are about to give birth, trauma-informed yoga so that they, you know, so that we can... Um, you know, man, everyone's, it's just the trauma of being pregnant and then the trauma of being pregnant in jail. So anyway, this was a very important fundraiser because what Prison Yoga Project does in the jails is so helpful and just, I mean, it's not even 1% of what they need, but whatever, they're doing their thing. We were in there and we did this huge fundraiser. Everybody rallied, the whole chorus came and they practiced and we did advertising and everybody invited their friends. And we ended up at Bread and Company having this pretty cool concert. We didn't think that many people would show up, but like the TV showed up. It was, it was pretty big. It was like 250 people there, and the concert was powerful, and it was like a sacred experience. We had the altar and sage, and girls were dancing, and the music, there was gospel, and there was rap, and there was Spanish songs. I mean, it was so cool. We raised a bunch of money for a prison yoga project. My mom, to this day, like I open her iPad, she has a picture of me giving one of the um one of the speeches about what we do in the prison and what were people giving their money for and she writes on there's big letters in the bottom of it that says my girl i mean she was so proud of me she told me you did so good and the next morning when i went to have breakfast with them alejandra who's kind of like our family member now she works for my parents she's the one who hasn't been able to come because of covid who i am dying for her to come but she was like gris Muy bien, that was so good. And there's my dad just flipping the newspaper. And he went and he saw everything. 
you know, and he told me, wow, that was really great. Like about, he told me that Arinda cantó precioso. Arinda's my friend, who's my gospel singer friend from Mexico, who really did an amazing solo. I was like, yes, didn't she? And I'm like, what about my solo, motherfucker? Like, I mean, I'm not as good as Arinda, but I got my own style. Like nothing, nothing, nothing. And I'm like, why do I even bother? I mean, I care. The honest to God, it's like I care. And so I'm beginning to notice these things, and I'm like, what is this like? It's like a distancing. Like there's no acceptance or emotional connection. And maybe he said he five and doesn't know how to say it, but that's that's just fucking lame. You got to figure out how to say it. You know, it's always been so superficial. Like, are you happy? Are you okay? And, you know, I've done some work on my own and I don't give a fuck. I don't let these things typically get in the way. I go in there. I hug him. I tell him how it is. I tell him straight up. Like yesterday, I told him straight up again that I thought he needed to reconsider his blind faith. I go, one thing is that you think that the Virgen of Guadalupe is a reality. I go, another thing is that, yeah, maybe God has appeared and she's undercover as Virgen Guadalupe, but it was the Christian missionary oppressing the natives trying to get them to go to church and then take their money and oppress. So think about that. You know, he just looks at me and I go and I Google and I get all this information. And he's like, well, there's veridical facts about blah, blah, blah. I'm like, who wrote those veridical facts? Because here's other veridical facts written by other people that were not Christians that did different kinds of studies. So there's facts that are everywhere, and your faith is one thing, but also don't be dumb. Oh, and the other thing I said is, and that is why probably the root of the issue, the people even voted for Emlu to begin with, because of this oppression that's been going on for hundreds and hundreds of years. And so what happens when I talk to him straight up like that, he gets up and he leaves. <laughs> and I don't really know how much of it he heard, because he's not wearing the hearing aids anyway. But as, you know, as I'm journaling and I'm doing my meditations and these um, shamanic journeys that I'm in with this really cool mentor that I'm working with, I just see things and I'm wondering like, okay, what is it that I'm supposed to learn from this? And what is it that I'm supposed to awake to from this? Because it's like a denial, just like all this, you know, we've all known that people are racist in the United States. You know, constantly, like, how can you not, like, you know, slavery didn't even end that many years ago. And people are still being assholes about whether or not you're white or black. So, so this huge awakening right now that is incredibly necessary um, is not new for everybody. Some people have already known about it. And other people are barely waking up to it. And then people are feeling really uncomfortable about it. But hey, it's time. The evolution is here. It's a huge awakening. And so for me, speaking about like, you know, this patriarchy and dad and this and that, it's like he's a great guy, but I'm waking up to this. We are part of this white supremacy or colonialism system. And I... I think for a long time didn't realize it to the core that I'm realizing it now. You know, I have been affected by racism here, claro. I mean, I went to school in San Diego. I was one of the I was the only Mexican in my school here when I came to school in San Diego. There was one black guy, Tayari, and there was two Mexicans, me and my cousin Fer. And then in high school, again, two black people, two Mexicans. 
That was it. And if you were speaking Spanish around when you go to the beach early, this is, you know, around the 80s, you were getting looks like, hmm, why are you speaking Spanish? And getting harassed at the border. So a lot of that kind of racism was going on. And, but, you know, you build resiliency and just ignore it and do your thing and do your thing and do your thing. And then all of a sudden you're like, whatever. I, you know, I powered through. I have, you know, a family. I'm doing my service to life. I'm working. And you, you, you stop thinking about it until it affects you again. Um, and there's a whole other podcast about that coming up, Mexican racism. But what I'm trying to get to is the point that I'm really waking up to things that are happening with my father that other people have been awoken to for a long, long time. And I think we're taught as Mexican women to not talk shit about your father, to not say anything mean, to not rock the boat because you have to be polite and because, well, they provide it and they're taking care of you and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I am, you know, like stuck in this, like I really want to cook and take care of him and be nice. And then on the other hand, I'm really want to pissed and I really want to slap you because, dude, get up and make your own dinner. Like, why am I, you know, like you don't even know how to wash your clothes. You're clueless to the necessity of, you know, he would tell my mom, we don't really, we need to save money. We don't really need help at the house. Well, you have a four bedroom, two story house. Are you going to clean it? Are you going to do the laundry? Are you going to cook? Just because my mom doesn't work, you feel like you don't have to do any of that. You could at least help or at least become aware of the fact that these things need to get done and that there are a lot of work. There's probably more work than you going to your office and sitting on the computer all day. I don't even know what I'm saying anymore, but I think it's just like, thank you for listening to Tales of Recovery. Just I'm processing here in between this puddle of grief of looking at somebody who is next in the natural order of things probably to leave. I might die before him. I am well aware of that. But if everything goes like, you know, kind of like it's supposed to, it's really difficult to see him and just think I'm going to have to go through this all over again. Along with, you know, we're waking up in the morning and going out to see like, is he alive? Because he usually comes in for breakfast around 730 and it's already nine. And yeah, he just slept in. No big deal. You know, those kind of (laughs) thoughts are coming around, making sure he's not going to fall, making sure he gets to the doctor's appointment, and then also, you know, taking care of everything else. Um, on my end of the of the of the house of the property, you know, my husband, my kids, and I really have been sort of stepping back into this self love as an act of rebellion because. All of us women, and if you're a woman listening to this, remember, we need to put ourselves first. We have got to take that time to breathe and to do something that is just lovely for us. Like, you know, whatever it is for you, a long, hot shower or a walk on the beach or a yoga class, dancing and ask for help. Ask for help. Because, yes, eventually I did ask for help. I told my brother and my sister, you guys need to come once a week and just take your turn. Take them out. Change the sheets clean up his clothes, whatever you need to do. He's 85, he's going to die. So you need to take this opportunity to spend time with him. And, you know, besides the doing and cleaning, the emotional weight of it is pretty fucking heavy, man. So between that and figuring out this whole 
patriarchy thing, um, the reality of it is hitting me. I study it. I talk about it. I'm like, woman power and goddess was first and these patriarchal religions are a bunch of bullshit. And honestly, I think they are. And it's the deep, it is the root of all problems, of all wars of this since the Inquisition, since before that, coming over here and just taking over the land. It's freaking, you know, the Roman Empire. It's a religion, this patriarchal religion. Uh, it's a government, is what I'm saying. It's a government that's ruined everything, but it's seeped into the family systems. And so now the family systems are run with this. I am the man and you are my peasants. You are like my little freaking keychains over here. And I may not really give a shit about what you are or your heart, but, you know, I love you and I'm taking care of you. And that sometimes isn't enough. And it, I mean, it can be, I guess, depending on your perspective, but... No, I think it's okay to be angry. And I think all these riots are in these angers and everything that's coming up. It's an intelligent response. Now, we can self-regulate and know when it's going to be too much. You don't want to kill someone or beat someone up. But notice that anger and the message that it's sending. That's what I'm noticing. And that's what I'm talking about in this podcast here. I am you know, allowing for this to flow. And this is part of my recovery and if it helps amazing so notice and listen to that intelligence because anger is usually coming up when something isn't right a need isn't being met and there's fear so we listen we can learn to self-regulate talk about it and honor it and uh well the family just stepped in so we're gonna just end it right here and uh Coming up next week with Mexican racism, and I also have a beautiful guest of mine, Ani Correa, but guess what? It's going to be in Spanish. So yeah, man, Tales of Recovery is going to have one or two guests here where we're going to just go on Espanol, and bilingual is already, you know, we, we do the bilingual stuff here, but this one's going to be in Spanish, and I hope you enjoy it coming up here. And again, you know, if you enjoy this, please, you know... Uh, Go over there and rate it, subscribe, share it to your friends, and help a sister out. <laughs> Thank you guys for listening, and uh, may you be well, may you be safe, may you have peace, and I'll see you next time.